The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. 
because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I have to stop. Can you imagine? This man is is pledged to be married to a woman he loves. They are formally engaged, and in this culture, they lived apart for a year after they were engaged. But both were pledged to be utterly clean and righteous before God. And suddenly he finds out that his bride, his precious bride, is pregnant. Such a riot of agony must have gone through his soul. It's Christmas time. But let's not get lost in the sentiment of Christmas. Let's not get lost in the smell of the cookies baking, the food being prepared. Let's not get lost in the celebration of the lights. Let's understand that Christmas was tearing apart the heart of an unknown man. His name was simply Joseph. We don't usually take time to celebrate Joseph. But I want to say to you today that when the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to you, it comes like a knife, like a sword. It calls us out of everything that is comfortable. It calls us out of everything that is sentimental. It calls us to lay our life down. And so Joseph is asked to lay his life down. Do not be afraid, Joseph, son of David, to take Mary home as your wife. But what will the neighbors say? What will the family say? What will the rabbi say? What am I going to say? No, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. The sentimentality of Christmas is not from the Holy Spirit. I think some, probably even some of you, love Christmas more than you love Jesus Christ. No, this is not about wonderful food being cooked and presents being given, parties and celebrations. This is about the heartbreak of a man who says, I won't embarrass her. I'll put her away quietly. And the the angel says, no, you take her home now to be your wedded wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit almost always embarrasses us. Most of us have struggled all of our lives not to be embarrassed. But when God comes, he uncovers our hearts. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. Not he will save his people in their sins, but from their sins. From their alcohol, from their tobacco. From their lust and their pornography. From their anger and their control and their bitterness. He will save his people from murder, from robbery, from drugs. He will save his people. Being birthed out of the agony of Joseph's heart is Jesus, the Savior of the world. He's come to save his people. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife. He didn't have the big wedding feast. He didn't have the celebration. He simply took her home and protected her. And when she gave birth, he gave this baby the name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. Well, it is New Year's Eve or Christmas Eve. It is Christmas Eve. It is a time when Christians around the world celebrate Jesus Christ. It's a time of giving. God gave his only begotten son. I come day by day on Pilgrim's Progress to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. Those of you who have listened regularly know that I do not come with sentimentality. I do not come with romance. I come and speak a straight, honest word of God to your heart about Jesus saving you from your sin. To me, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about giving. It's about loving. It's about Sacrificing myself for the work of the gospel. Jesus sponsored radio. And always I've believed that we come to God's people and we invite them to give of tithes and offerings to pay for the work of God. So I'm not selling anything. I'm simply calling for an offering to pay for the radio broadcast. Now I'd like to share a favorite story of mine as you call. 
It's a story of redemption. A story of a man getting washed and cleansed that he would no longer walk in his wickedness. To me, that is the very heart of what the birth of Christ was all about. It is saving men and women from their sin. And as those men and women are saved, as they hear the gospel, they reach out and they generously give to support the proclamation of the gospel. The story is one given by C.G. Bevington. He was nicknamed Guy Bevington. Guy Bevington wrote this book and published it first in 1920. These stories are before the turn of the century. They are powerful, powerful testimonies of God's grace and mercy. He's arrived in Chattanooga. He knew someone who lived in Chattanooga. In fact, he had prayed for healing in this man. His name was Brother Allen. He was dying of tuberculosis. And after many hours of praying for him, the Lord healed Brother Allen. But Brother Allen was in a very poor family, and so he didn't want to simply show up on their doorstep. And so he spent the last 20 cents to check two heavy suitcases at the train station, and then he splurged his last 80 cents on dinner. He lingered over that meal, but finally he was standing in the street in Chattanooga, penniless, homeless, among strangers, and he had no idea what to do. He knew that God had sent him there, but beyond that he didn't know what God wanted. So he decided to walk a while and think and pray about his situation. He was passing along a high board fence, and he saw a sign, 2.30 p.m., Sunday, every Sunday. He writes, I I paused. I looked around to see what the sign might be indicating, but could see nothing. So I walked slowly on, wondering what the sign had meant. And then I heard a call and looked back to see a man with a glow on his face. I knew he had to be a real child of God. He started toward me with a great smile on his face. Lord bless you, he exclaimed. You are the man. You are the man. Well, I hardly knew what to think, so I just replied, What do you mean? Well, you're the man I've been looking for. You're going to preach in the mission down here at the corner. The man who was there was broken down. I'd been down to see him three weeks ago, and he told me he couldn't go on. He was too tired. He asked me to pray for a man to come and give him relief. So I went into my house, and I got down, and I laid the case before the Lord. And he showed me, just as you are now, except you had two big suitcases, one black and one yellow. Brother, where are those suitcases? I laughed. I guess you have the whole thing pretty straight, 
Oh, I know that. Yes, sir, I do have it straight. He pointed the way that I should go and ask for the two baggage checks. He said, I'll bring your suitcases to you in my cart. As I went on, another man called to me. You're the man Joe told me about, aren't you? Come on in, my house. Get a drink of cool water. I followed him in, and after I'd enjoyed some refreshing drink, he said, Now let's have prayer. Well, that was fine with me, so we got down on our knees and we prayed. I don't believe I've ever had freer access to the throne of God in my life. And then I I got up. He gave me a dollar bill. And he showed me the mission where I was to preach. The man of the mission was sitting at the window on the second floor where he could see down the road. He knew who I was instantly from the description Joe had given him three weeks earlier. He came down quickly and welcomed me heartily and then introduced me to his young wife. I began preaching at the mission that night. The mission was run by different churches the Methodist one night, the Baptist the next, and so on. There were five meetings a week with a different church coming in each night. I soon saw that some of the meeting house folks didn't take to my way of preaching very well. Oh, the Methodist, they took to me all right. On the second night, the Methodist night, Three people fell down at the altar, and we all had a good time together. As I was preaching, in came a drunkard, and as was their custom, he was told to go back out. But he didn't seem inclined to go. So the head man of the church said to the leader, Put that man out at once. I called out, Hold on there, don't put him out. But the man in charge motioned the leader to obey his orders. So I jumped over the railing, rushed to them, and implored the leader, Don't put that man out. Jesus came to save such a poor man as him. The leader said, You don't know this man. He is the lowest down creature in town. He has to go out. No. Please don't, I begged him. Put him out, he ordered. I sprang between the leader and the drunkard and stood my ground. They dropped back, and the drunkard dropped down on a seat. The odor emanating from him soon cleared him plenty of room. The boss and his crowd all got up and left, taking some fifty people with them. As the leader went out the door, he turned, and he said, Brother Bevington, I know what Jesus came for, but we've been dealing with this man for ten years. There is no hope for him. My dear brother, you will never make me believe that. Jesus came to make a difference, and he will if we give him a chance. The leader called back over his shoulder. Then you and him go for it. I'm putting out the lights. But the one by the pulpit will leave on. And they did. I ushered the drunken man up to the front of the platform and began to lay hold of God for him. He did pretty well until about 2 a.m., and then he began to get very boisterous. 
He said he was burning up and had to have some whiskey. Just get me a pint and I will be all right. I would like to be a Christian, but I'm in hell right now. I kept trying to reach. I kept trying to reason. But he was getting the best of me. Being much stronger than I was, he kept backing me toward the door in spite of all I could do. Within a couple of hours, he had pushed me to within eight feet of the door. Near exhaustion, I knew something had to happen. I wanted to call out for the man sleeping upstairs, but the Spirit of God rebuked me. So I held my peace and began to intercede at the throne of grace more intensely. Unable to hang on any longer, I finally let go of the man and threw up my hands and cried out, Oh God, what did you send this man in here for? What did you send me here for? Oh God, come, come. Oh God, come. At the third come, the man fell prostrate on the floor. He actually crawled around under the chairs, just like a snake. Then I began to plead to have the demon cast out. Oh God, cast this demon out. Cast him out, I cried. In thirty minutes, the man was as quiet as a lamb. He sat up, he rubbed his face, and he said to himself, is this really Tom? Why, I believe I just got religion. Oh, you may have religion, but you do not have salvation yet, I warned him. No, I know better. I have religion for sure. No, come up to the altar and get saved. Well, I'm saved right now. No, you are not. You just had the whiskey demon cast out. Now you're a candidate for forgiveness. Let's stop a minute. I've talked with many men and women who've been caught by the demon, the demon of alcohol or the demon of drug abuse or the, the demon of fornication. They've tried to get saved, but they can't. Because there's a demon that stands in their way. The only way to get that demon out is with fasting and prayer. And then you have religion, but you don't have salvation. Then you've got to get saved. What do I mean, get saved? I mean, die out. Die out to yourself. Die out to your desires. Die out until everything has been given out of your hand into the hand of Jesus, where you recognize that you don't own anything. You're not in charge of anything. You've given all into the hand of God. That's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about. Now you are a candidate for forgiveness, Brother Bevington said. He kept insisting that he was already saved, but I finally got him to the altar. He got down and he prayed earnestly until he began to see that he did indeed need salvation. 
In a little over an hour, he prayed through. The young wife came downstairs about then, and she was delighted. She called her husband down. And both seemed satisfied that Tom was really a saved man. I was thoroughly worn out from wrestling all night with this ferocious man and needed some rest badly. But I said to the couple, Get me a tub, a broom, and a bar of soap, and a scrubbing brush. Then go get some good clothing, and I'll take Tom out in the backyard, and we'll scrub him up. I used three tubs of water and a bar of soap, and actually succeeded in getting him fairly clean. They furnished me with some good clothes, and soon we had him looking like an entirely different person. Whiskey may have floored him, but he was well he was a well-educated man, and God began to gather up the fragments of his life to polish them and put them back in place, and he was in pretty good shape by the time we were through with him. He looked at me and he said, Will you go down to my cousin's? I used to be a foreman in his lumber yard, but he hasn't allowed me around for years. We went down just as the cousin was preparing to eat his dinner. Tom had me stand in front where I knocked on the door, and we were invited inside. The cousin looked at me and then at Tom, and he did not recognize either one of us. I did not really make our business known. I wanted some suspense, and I finally said, Mr., did you ever see this man before? At that, Tom smiled, and the cousin said, This can't be Tom, can it? Tom sprang forward, saying, Yes, it is. I'm a new man, Bill. Jesus saved me, and this preacher's cleaned me up. Then the mission gave me this nice suit. Bill, I want to go to work again. I'll join your men with you if you'll have me. After a time of great rejoicing and a wonderful meal, Tom took me outside and asked me one more favor. Brother Bevington, Jesus has sure cleaned me up on the inside and you cleaned me up on the outside. Now I want you to go with me and see my wife. You have a wife? Yes, I have. At least I used to. I haven't seen her for 11 years. They say that she's worse than I was. She's down on Pokey Row with the very poorest and honoriest people there are in all of Tennessee. Well, I told him I would go with him to find his wife. The leader saw us coming from the mission, and when I told him what we were going to do, he asked me to go upstairs alone with him. He looked at me very serious as, seriously as he said, Brother Bevington, I think I can work things out with the manager of the mission now that Tom is so different, but whatever you do, please don't go near that woman. It is unmistakably evident God has undertaken for Tom a great work of redemption, but that woman is a thousand leagues lower than Tom was. If you have anything to do with her, it will kill any possibility of this mission and of my continuing here, they will throw me out. I'm too old, and my health is not sufficient for me to make a living anywhere else. Please, Brother Bevington, listen to me. I was listening, and his dear young wife was too. She sat down, and she said, Husband, I am young, and I am strong, 
and I will take in washing, and I will make our living. I believe Brother Bevington is on the right track, and he knows his God better than either one of us. If God could save Tom, he can save Liz. I say let Brother Bevington alone. Keep your hands off. Let him and God and Tom do their best. If we have to leave here, we'll leave with joy. I said, Amen. God bless you, dear good heart. So I went back downstairs, and I said, Come on, Tom. We headed immediately for the worst part of town. After a distance, we turned down into an alley where all the combined poverty and ignorance and filth I'd ever seen did not approach what was before us. I was somewhat taken back, but I said, We've started, and we will trust God. Finally, we reached our goal. The greater obstacle now loomed before us. We were there, but where was she? We had no idea even of how many times she might have changed her name. You're listening to a story from Brother Bevington, the turn of the century. Jesus came to save people. He came to save these people. He came to save you. You know, I recognize my brothers, my sisters. I don't come with pretty words. I come with a nitty-gritty gospel message. I confront sin, and I call men and women to, to come before their Savior Jesus and get on their faces and get salvation. I recognize that this is not a sentimental broadcast. Bevington continues, We ventured into a yard and be, began to make inquiries but we could find no one who would involve themselves in our quest. Their only interest was in whether or not we had any tobacco, whiskey, beer, or opium. Spying a staircase going up to the roof on one of the shanties, we climbed some twenty feet above the filth, thinking we might escape some of the awful stench. There on the roof, we began to call on God for information. Soon a huge man, very filthy, came out and saw us kneeling. He was curious and wanted to know what we were doing there. So we told him, and he said, I know who you're after. I'll bring her out. In all my mission work, Cincinnati, St. Louis, Louisville, Cleveland, I have to tell you, I've never seen such a vile-looking, evil-smelling, hopeless case as the wretched woman this man brought out before us. I told her what her name had been some 15 years earlier. She acknowledged she remembered using that name. Oh, how even I wondered if Jesus could do anything for a person like this. I brought Tom forward. She grunted in surprise and squinted up her eyes, peering with great suspicion. Is that you, Tom? Tom assured her it was and began to tell her what God had done for him and how he believed. He believed he would do the same for her, and she just cussed him. Feigning complete disinterest, she turned to smoking an old pipe she clutched in her dirty hand. She would only stop puffing on the pipe to swear at him further. 
I don't know what was in that old pipe, but the stench was almost unbearable. But Tom kept on telling her about Jesus. I began to back down the stairs. I said, we will come back tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. Make up your mind that you believe Jesus can do as much for you as he has done for Tom and that you can live a respectable life again. Then we hurried out of the malaria-infested pit as fast as we could. Tom went to his cousin's place, and I went to the mission, and I fell into my bed. I slept over 12 hours and awoke the next morning at dawn. I went down to breakfast and related our previous day's trip to my host. The young wife was very interested and immediately began to gather up some of her own clothes for Tom's wife. They're going to get her, and, and we'll, need, we'll need these, she said. Her husband still tried to persuade us not to bring her there to the mission. The wife said, we'll take her down to my Uncle Ben's coal house. It's clean, and it's empty, and he is a man of God, and he will let us use it. So Tom showed up at the door a short time after that, full of hope and faith for his poor, emancipated, emaciated wife. Back we went. Praise God, there she was, bundled up in filthy rags, standing out at the head of the first alley waiting for us. The first thing to do was to get her cleaned up, so we took her back to the mission, and Tom led her into the same yard where he had gotten his cleaning. He used five tubs of water and two bars of soap to get her clean enough to put on the nice clothes waiting for her. The leader of the mission was not able to go, but the wife went with us to her Uncle Ben's coal house, a nice and clean enclosure. If I'd thought I had a terrible time with Tom, I found it was nothing compared to what we were about to go through with this wild, unreasonable, demon-possessed woman. We wrestled with her for 84 hours, a day and a night. It took all of us. She she did everything to, to bruise us. She was pounding and pulling on me so roughly she tore my clothes almost to pieces. Tom had to extricate me from her clutches, but together we managed to hold her inside the building and we fed her coffee and good food and prayed with her until the 85th hour. And suddenly... She was knocked down by the power of God. She lay on her back, cursing God and man alike. Froth was foaming out of her mouth. But she was powerless, perfectly helpless and exhausted. She lay that way for nine hours until at last she was completely quiet and still. And then she raised her hands, weeping, asking us to help her up. Her clothes and Tom's were in complete shreds. We sent for more clothing before we could even take her out of the building. When the clothing arrived and they had dressed, we took her to Tom's cousin's house. The next morning she prayed through most gloriously. She lifted her right hand up toward heaven. And for the next two hours, laughing softly, she said, O oh, glory, glory. Glory. Finally, we all went to sit down at a wonderful family dinner with Tom's cousin. The next day, the cousin 
outfitted a three-room cottage with new furniture for them. Then he gave them both new clothes and other necessities. And once those needs were met, the cousin gave Tom his old job back. And I had the privilege of marrying Tom and his wife over again before they set up housekeeping. Then upon our insistence after they were installed in the new home, Tom and his wife prayed through to getting the Holy Spirit. That created quite a stir in the many who knew of them in their past. Neither one of these two ever went back into sin. They had three sweet children with them the last I saw them at the Cincinnati camp meeting. You see, God is really in the saving business. That's what Jesus came for. And he made sure this purpose of saving souls was within the reach of whosoever would believe. That's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about. Saving men and women, crying out to the Lord for Washington, D.C. I am believing that God is going to come in his full power. He will rescue you. He will save you. If you will give your life over to him. If you will turn aside from all of the worldly stuff and cry out to Jesus, he will save you. I don't care whether it's alcohol or fornication or anger, bitterness, a marriage that's being destroyed. I don't know what the situation is. I just know that Jesus has the power to turn it all around and to save your soul. Religion can't do it. Churchianity can't do it. Jesus can. The man, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, who came down from on high, and became a man and dwelt among us. This Jesus has awesome power. He can heal your bruises. He can order your steps. If you will confess and turn your life over to him, he will do this and much more for you. Now the mission manager did end up giving orders for the leader and his wife who had stood so faithfully by me to pick up their belongings and to move out. The story of Tom and his deliverance and the salvation was being told about everywhere. Two days after he prayed through with me in the mission, I was preaching a meeting on Sunday at the Methodist Church. Some twenty of those involved with the leader's dismissal came, and they fell down at the altar, and several of them prayed through. And after God adjusted their thinking further, they decided to allow the former leader and his wife to remain at the mission. I felt it was now time that this man went after the Holy Spirit, and so I went after him. He was somewhat frightened of that. But God showed him up, and in a couple of days he was truly seeking. Then the wife came seeking for the same blessing. With these two and with Tom and his wife, it was a busy week. But glory to God, the Lord got them all through. Now, many of you listening to this broadcast have never prayed through. You have religion. 
you believe that intellectually you're saved, but you've never prayed through to victory. You've never waited on the Lord and cried out to Him for the blessing of absolute assurance in your heart, not in your mind, not an intellectual, but in your heart, an absolute understanding that your sins have been wiped out, your your sins have been broken, and they no longer have any power over you. Many of you just have an intellectual understanding that, yes, Jesus will forgive me, like some sentimental little Christmas Eve celebration. I come to this broadcast to urge you to pray through. And by that I mean you stay on your knees and you examine every part of your life and you give it totally into the hands of Jesus and you allow him to adjust and to change the way you think and the way you feel. You put all of your confidence in Jesus. You don't go back to your sin. You pray and you wait and you and you wrestle. What do you wrestle with? The temptation to turn against Jesus. You come and you pray until your eyes are totally fixed upon Jesus. You don't go to the left or to the right. I do that with this broadcast. I come and do the offertory at the Lord's command. I don't turn to the left or to the right. I don't do fundraising. I just say, Jesus, this is yours. I will be here as long as you want me to be here. I trust you to pay for what you order. And I know that the money will come for this radio broadcast, but I know it will not come automatically. It will come as men and women are moved by the Holy Spirit. And they come and bring their offering before the throne of God. Now, at this mission, during the time that this leader of the mission was down at the altar, Seeking the Holy Spirit, several of the leaders came to break off the proceedings and they ordered us to leave the meeting house. They threatened to fire him again, but he'd gone so far in his seeking, he could not turn back. I can't tell you how many people through the years have told me to stop pressing into God, to stop talking about the Holy Spirit, and to stop talking about being totally healed of all sin. I've not been able to. I still can't. My heart is crying out for Jesus in all of his fullness. This this thing is real. Jesus is real. The gospel is real. It's not some imaginary, sentimental fairy tale. Jesus came as a baby, but look what it cost Joseph. Look what it cost Mary. Look what it cost Jesus' mother and father. Yes, Jesus came at a great price to his father and to him, but it also cost the people who were surrounded by this coming. We have three minutes left in the broadcast. This story continues. 
the husband and wife prayed through to complete victory. They let him continue to stay as the leader provided Brother Bevington stopped preaching. (laughs) Some people don't want to hear the straight word of God. If you treasure the straight word of God, would you call 877-534-0780 right now at the last minute and push us over the goal? Lord Jesus, I didn't want to do this offertory today, but you said to me, isn't it about giving? Yes, Lord, it is about giving. It's not about being sentimental. It's about putting everything on the line for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I just plead your mercy and your grace over every person who has sacrificed, who has given, that your gospel could go forward. Lord, I plead today for your mercy for Washington, D.C., in the midst of all of the drunken Christmas parties, all of the ungodly things that men and women will do and say and be, I plead your mercy. I plead that you would turn the heart of this Sodom and Gomorrah back once more to your kingdom, that you would turn their hearts to you, Jesus. Son of the living God. I pray in your name. Amen. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill
shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus Thank you so much for joining us. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel. We're a house church located in Woodbridge, Virginia. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Come visit us at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. At this table, everyone is welcome. At this table, everyone is seen at this table everybody matters no one falls between at this table you can say whatever at this table you can speak your mind
Welcome.